0: recording okay great So you notice our walls is a little bit different today and I hope I'm not offending anybody that's not my intent but as we look at things the, the cross has become such a part of our not just our Christian culture but our culture in general that you know we, we look at the cross and we think of salvation and we also have to remember that the cross is an instrument of torture and death. And it's the sacrifice of Christ, that this means of death, that becomes a path to freedom. We're going to be in the book of Philemon for the next three weeks. So if you want to turn there. Who read Philemon this week? Well, a couple. Read Philemon this week. It's only 25 verses. We're going to be in it all month. So read Philemon this week. Now, um, you have a little insert in your bulletin. It's about uh, the Underground Railroad and conductors in particular. Free individuals who helped to run away slaves toward freedom were called conductors. And the fugitive slaves were referred to as cargo. And the safe houses used as hiding places along the lines of the Underground Railroad were called stations. And today, as we're going to be in the book of Philemon, Uh, It's a story of a master and a slave. It's a story of freedom and privilege. And it's the Apostle Paul who is speaking to them. The Apostle Paul is the conductor. He's the one that is working towards leading Philemon to freedom. And we're going to see how relevant this is for us today, not just because there's still slavery in the world, call it human trafficking, but very practical on just... How we use the privilege that we have. And we all have some. In your Bibles, if you want to look, verses 7 and 8 of Philemon. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, yours being Philemon's that he's writing to, because the heart of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right Paul's setting this up. He's, he's, we need to realize something about the Apostle Paul. Paul has privilege. And that's what we're going to start with. Paul's privilege. I'm going to give you a series of verses. They're going to be up on the screen so you don't have to flip all over the place. You can stay in Philemon. But let's just take a look at who is writing this letter. And why can he say, I have boldness, I have confidence in Christ, that I can just command you to do what I want. Acts chapter 22 verse 3 Paul writes I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia but brought up in this city educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the law of our ancestors I was zealous for God just as all of you are today so Paul's a Jew he's a good Jew he was brought up he knows the law of God and he would say in uh, Philippians 3, five, he talks about his Jewishness. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day. He's of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Regarding the law, he was a Pharisee. So Paul wasn't just Jewish. He was somebody who had studied the law enough to be a Pharisee. These were the leading religious teachers of the time. So from his... Religious standpoint, Paul had the religious authority to command Philemon to do what he wanted to do. He was educated. It was part of his privilege. We can see how much he's educated in Philemon, verse 19. Paul says, "I, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own very self. Paul can write. Okay, That's a rare thing in this time. Paul says, I'm writing this myself. I'm not just dictating it to somebody who knows how to write. He says, I know how to write. So Paul has religious training. Paul is educated. Look more in Acts. Acts 22.25. It says, as they stretched him out for the lash, Paul said to the centurion standing by, is it legal for you to scourge a man who is a Roman citizen and is uncondemned? So Paul's not only a very highly educated Jewish man, he's also a Roman citizen. And we see, as we look at like different sermons that he preached, preaches in Acts, it's not just he's a Roman citizen, that gives him certain rights, he knows the laws and the cultures of Rome. He knows they can't beat him if he's not condemned. And so with regard to talking to Philemon, Paul knows the law, the Roman law. He knows the religious law. He knows the Roman law. He knows the cultures of the time. He says, I could just command you to do what I want. Colossians. Uh, First Corinthians 9.1 Paul says of himself, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? So he knows the Jewish law. He knows the Roman law. And he says, and guess what else? I'm an apostle of the church. I've actually seen risen Jesus. I can tell you what to do. He saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. In fact, how much of an apostle is Paul? Galatians 2:11. When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Okay, Peter is number 1 amongst the apostles. And the apostle Paul says, "I condemned him to his face." <coughs> He's got some privilege to stand up to Peter. Paul has some privilege. But what does he say about his privilege? In Philippians 3.3 For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Paul has all this privilege, all this education, all this knowledge, citizenship, freedom, authority. But he says, you know what, I don't put confidence in any of that stuff. My confidence is in Jesus. Because Jesus is the one with the ultimate privilege. It's Jesus who says in John 10.30, I and and the Father are one. I gotta tell you, there's nobody with more privilege than God. And Jesus says, I've got all the privilege that God the Father has. Anybody ever got to fly first class on an airplane? It's a fun thing. I don't know if it's worth paying the far exceedingly extra price it is, but if you can get it cheaper or, you know, somebody gives you some of their miles, it's fun. You get better seats. You have leg room. On some of the bigger planes, your your seat turns into a bed. You always have storage for your carry-ons. You get better food. Get free booze. Sometimes you have your own private bathroom for just first-class people. It's a privilege based upon what I purchased for myself. but the pilot can still kick me off the plane if he wants to, or she wants to. See, in first class, my life is good, but I can't necessarily do anything for somebody else in some the other part of the plane whose situation is not as good. I can't just say, you know what, send my ice cream back to those kids back there. They probably don't regularly do that. Now, we all have some privileges and varied advantages. Sometimes we have to think about it. Some of us have more education than others. Some of us have more money than others. Some of us have more experience than others. Sometimes our ethnicity is an advantage. Sometimes our family connections our advantages, or just the contacts that we have. There's all different kinds of advantages that people have, different privileges. And here's the thing, privilege is not a sin. Privilege is not a sin, but I think it's fair to call it a sin of omission, you know, a sin of neglect, or perhaps a sin of selfishness if I don't do anything for anybody else with the advantages that I have. See, all of us who have faith in Jesus have this really great privilege, 1 John 3 1. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. See, I could lose all my money. I could get kicked out of first class. My friends could abandon me. I could get hit on the head and lose my knowledge. My hands could get crushed and I could lose my musical ability. But the one privilege that can't be taken away from me is that I am a child of God. So my confidence doesn't come through me. It comes through Jesus. I take no confidence in the flesh. And that's a privilege that I just can't keep for myself. And so a follower of Jesus is confident. And that's where the Apostle Paul's privilege truly comes from and that's where ours comes from that's where mine comes from so Paul is confident he's confident in Christ and he says in Philemon verse 21 again since I am confident of your obedience I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say." see Paul has a passion for people he has his privilege but he has a passion for people See, Paul, firstly, cares about Philemon. Paul cares about Philemon. He writes to, verse 1, you'll see, he he writes to Philemon, Epipha, who we best guess is that's his wife, and Archippus, who is possibly Philemon's son, but we know for sure from Colossians 4.17, that he's a leader in the church. He's a leader in the church that meets in Philemon's house. You can think of Philemon as kind of second Colossians. So he cares about him. He took the time to write this letter to him personally. He cares about Philemon spiritually. In verse 1, he calls Philemon a dear friend and a co-worker. Says Philemon, you're a dear friend and co worker. In verse four, Paul says to Philemon, I mention, I mention you in my prayers. Paul has been praying for Philemon. In verse six, he says, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective. He says, I know you're my friend, my co worker, I pray for you, and I'm praying that the things you do have a good result. He really cares about this guy and the things he does, his spiritual health. He also cares about Philemon's financial state. In verse 18, he says, mention of Onesimus, if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. He says, I realize you might be taking a hit on what I'm asking you. I'll pay it. He cares about this man. Paul also cares about Onesimus, the slave that he's writing about. He says in verse 10, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Paul cares about Onesimus like a son. The other person that he calls like a son is Timothy. He cares about Onesimus because he says he's useful. Verse 11. Once he was lo- useless to you, but now he's useful to both you and me. Verse 13, I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel might serve me in your place. He's like, I care about Onesimus. He's a good worker for God. The gospel is being transmitted because I'm in jail and he's still doing great work. Says to Philemon, it's like you were here. And in verse 12, I'm sending him back to you. I am sending my very own heart. Paul says, he's like my own heart, my own flesh and blood. My emotions are tied up. So Paul cares about Philemon. Paul cares about Onesimus. But there is where I hit this and I have kind of a problem. Why did Paul see, see the need to send Onesimus back? Onesimus is the one who sent back with this letter. That's not what a conductor does. The conductor goes back and gets the slaves and takes them out. Once the slave is out, unless that slave becomes a conductor themselves, the slave doesn't go back. Slaves keep moving north. It was interesting in the Harriet movie that we watched yesterday. They said, no one really checks your papers of people traveling south. And I looked at this and I say, that's not how I would have done it. You don't send the slave back down to get killed. What is he thinking? If he really cares for Onesimus, why didn't he send Timothy with the letter? See, if God wants people free, who's to say it wasn't God's will for Onesimus to escape? What's he thinking? And in fact, in some ways, Paul kind of affirms this thinking. 1 Corinthians 721, Paul is writing to these people. He says, were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you're able to become free, rather do that. So Paul's not for people staying in slavery. And notice, Paul doesn't make any qualifications on the means that a slave gets free. He says, if you have the chance to be free, then be free. He doesn't say, if you have the chance to buy your freedom, then do that. If you have the chance to be free, then be free. No qualifications. And yet he sends Onesimus back. What? Paul is choosing, the Apostle Paul is choosing to work within a system. There is slavery in the Roman Empire. There are favors. And there is Christian brotherhood. And he's using all these things, yet, challenge the people in this system to not walk in the system. But Harriet Tubman, that's not how she did it. Buck the system. You know, Francis Chan, just this last June, was in an interview with Robbie Zacharias. And we're going to get back to this again next week. He says, the church must stop apologizing for the way God thinks and what God says is right and wrong. He says, we're in a church culture in the United States where we're all fighting for our rights. And these things are real. There's real pain. There's real feelings that we feel. And he loves how the church has been so compassionate with people. There's been a move for us to try and really understand people and hear where they're coming from. But amidst the push to be inclusive and understanding, one of the most important passages for our generation is Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He goes on. I've read a couple of modern books where people will say, why would God do this? I wouldn't do it. It's coming from the mindset, well, whether whether we know it or not, we believe our own mind is the ultimate. And God is saying, I don't think like you. He goes on, he says, I read the Old Testament so many times ago, I wouldn't have done that. And God says, there's a reason you wouldn't, because you don't think like I do. In our compassion for people, the church has lost the understanding that, yes, I feel your hurt, but my biggest concern is that you're not seeing the center of it all, and you're not seeing this being who is so, be, so far beyond you that you have to answer to. And it's bigger than the hurt that you're currently facing. His thoughts are so far beyond ours. There needs to be a way in which the church no longer apologizes for the way God thinks and acts and what he says is right and wrong. Yes, I wouldn't have done it the way Paul did it. You know, the Sadducees had the same problem in our in our gospel passage today. They're asking Jesus about the resurrection. And Jesus says, You don't really understand God. You're asking who this person's wife is going to be. You don't even understand the resurrection or the God of life. Remember Jesus, who has all the privilege of God the Father? If I were God, I wouldn't have chosen the cross. But my ways are not God's ways. So, I better put my confidence in God's love of people, not my own intelligence, not my own love of people, not even my own love of myself. There's a confidence that comes through advocating for others like Jesus did. And Jesus rarely did things the way people expected. and we see what Paul is doing here, when I'm working to guide others in faith, my goal is not merely to convince people or educate people. Part of my objective has to be to instill the confidence of Jesus in them. You are safe in Jesus. You can grow in Jesus. You can be counterculture in Jesus. Our confidence is in Christ. So let's take a moment and actually read Paul's plea. What does he actually ask for? I'm going to read Philemon, starting in verse 9. Paul's plea. I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and me. I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but out of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me, and if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention that you owe me even your very self. What does Paul want? Paul wants Philemon to make this choice out of love. He said from the beginning, I could command you, but that's not what I want. I want you to make the choice yourself and I want you to make the choice out of love. Paul wants Onesimus to be free. Free from slavery and free from any debt. Paul wants them both to follow the law. He doesn't want Onesimus to be a runaway. He wants everything to be taken care of legally. So he asked for consent. Paul wants both Onesimus and Philemon to be able to do ministry. And I think the biggest reason why Paul chose this radical kind of discipleship where he sends the slave back to the master is Paul wanted them to be reconciled as brothers. And that's something they had to do face to face. I'm, I don't agree with all her decisions, but Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg said something very interesting. She is somebody who's worked for women's rights throughout her career. And she said this recently, I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. And in some ways I feel like that's, that's Paul's plea to Philemon. Take your feet off his neck. Paul's asking Philemon re- to release his rights so that Onesimus can be free to serve God. So that Paul, with Onesimus' help, can be free to serve God. And so that Philemon can be free from his cultural mindset that owning another person is okay. Okay. Remember, Paul cares for all these people. Free Onesimus to serve God so that I can be free to serve God, so that you can be free to serve God. And God calls us to that same ministry. 2 Corinthians 5 18 through 20. The Apostle Paul writes to the church Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry. Of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against Him, and He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making His appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. That is radical discipleship. Asking, Being the catalyst for people to be reconciled to God and each other. You know, as a denomination, we have a history of bringing freedom to others. Started with freedom from drunkenness, then freedom from slavery. Now we work in freedom from human trafficking and freedom from oppression. But all that work has its beginnings with individuals being freed from their sin. Even when that sin is something the culture says is not a sin, because following Jesus is both being free and bringing freedom. So my confidence is in Jesus. They said this is risky discipleship because what if somebody lets me down? The Apostle Paul does not know with 100% certainty that Philemon won't write a letter back saying, I am keeping Onesimus as a slave. And since he's been working for you, you owe me 40 denarius. <laughs> Services rendered. That can absolutely happen. I try and instill the confidence of Jesus. And if the other person doesn't take it to heart or take it to action, what? Because people let us down, just like we let other people down. Not everyone makes the right choice. Not everyone makes the unselfish choice. It's hard for me to give up my rights to follow Jesus. In freedom and to love others but I still go and speak with confidence because I know Jesus does transform people I know Jesus does give people new life and new strength he did it for me so follow Jesus in confidence let's pray Psalm 145 I exalt you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever and ever, every day. The Lord is great and highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and the glorious majesty of your wondrous works. God, you are righteous in all your ways and faithful in everything you do. You are near to all who call out to you. You fulfill the desires of all who fear you. You hear our cry for help and save us. You guard those who love you. And you destroy the wicked. So let my mouth declare your praise. Let every living thing declare your holy name forever. As we sing and declare your praises, let us do so with confidence. As we leave this building and talk to our family and our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers, let us do so with confidence. Not confidence in our own intelligence, but confidence in Christ that through your work on the cross, you giving up your rights, you can transform anyone. Let our word not be a word of condemnation, but a word of encouragement. In Christ, there is freedom. We claim that for ourselves and let us proclaim that to others. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our confidence. Amen.